We've been uh, working our way through the book of Romans, and we are now in Romans chapter 12, where it begins this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And so Paul is beginning in chapter 12 to uh, take us and, and uh, show us what it looks like for us to live out all of the things that he has been talking about in the previous 11 chapters. That is, if Jesus loves us enough to die for our sin and make us righteous, then how ought we to live as God's people? What should that look like? And you know, if you're watching one of those movies where they're trying to figure something out, and so they're all like crowded in this dark room and looking at the computer screen, and they're, they're looking at the security footage from some random camera up on a telephone pole somewhere that shows a back alley, and the detective is standing there looking over the shoulder, and he's like, that part right there, zoom in on that. And then it zooms in on that, and he's like, okay, now clarify that so we can see what it is. And then it clarifies that as though that's a real thing. Right? That, that some random security footage you can just zoom in and see at a really minute level all of these details. Well, that may not actually be possible in real life, but in movies that's possible. And what Paul is doing here in Romans 12 is he's doing exactly that. He's, he's going, okay, see this, our one body in Christ piece? That you all are together as one body in Christ. We're gonna zoom in on that and we're gonna clarify. So that you can see what this looks like as it's worked out in real life. And so he began, began in verses 6 through 8 to talk about some of the different members, the, the functions of the members. That each member is a gift to the whole body. And that each person has a different role and different function um, in the way that they do that. And now, in verse 9, he says... Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And this functions as a header for the next several verses. Now, we're only going to look this morning at verses 9 and 10. But it actually functions as a header for the next several verses. And, and Paul's just going to list out, this is what it looks like. A, this genuine love. And I think that it's really important for us to identify what this is because one of the things that we are um, accused of as Christians very often is not having a genuine love. We're accused of having a hypocritical love. You ever heard that before? Somebody talking about the church and saying there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church? I hear that quite a lot. 
I hear that quite a lot, in large part from people who used to go to church and no longer go to church. And so what Paul is talking about here as he's beginning to uh, zoom in and, and talk about this is what it means for us to all be one body in Christ. He lists this header, an unhypocritical love. An unhypocritical love. And he begins to describe this is what an unhypocritical love is. One, two, three, four, five. An unhypocritical love. One that is not hypocritical, but is consistent. Because we, we want to be a loving people. We want to be known for being loving. We, we know that God is love and has expressed His love in great humility by sending His Son to the earth to die for us. Not because of anything that we had done or anything that He had seen in us and said, oh, that looks wonderful, I would like to die for them. But while we were still in our sin, ugly and despicable, that was when God said, you know what, I want to redeem them. So great is God's love. So great is God's love. That he would look on sinners in their unredeemed state and say, I love you and I want to express my love in this, that I will give my son for you. So if we are going to be God's people and have an unhypocritical love, we have to understand what that looks like. This uh, is a quote from James Smith. We should first think of ourselves as lovers. Being a disciple of Jesus is not primarily a matter of getting the right ideas and doctrines and beliefs into your head in order to guarantee proper behavior. Rather, it's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly who loves God and neighbor and is oriented to the world by the primacy of that love. Let me read that again. We should first think of ourselves as lovers. Because being a disciple of Jesus is not primarily a matter of getting the right ideas and doctrines and beliefs into your head in order to guarantee proper behavior. It is not primarily, being a Christian is not primarily that we get all the right ideas into our heads so that we can act correctly. Rather, it is a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly, who loves God and neighbor and is oriented to the world by the primacy of that love. That is to say, we are not first and foremost stuffing our heads with doctrinal information so that we can act correctly, but that recognizing what God has done for us, we respond in love and in our desire to love, we then are looking for that information so that we can love rightly. Those are two very different things. 
It sounds the same until you start looking at where you start and what your goal is. If where you start is, I'm going to collect all the information so that I am right and I can do it right, then our motivation begins to revolve around self and the temptation there. This won't happen every time, but the temptation is for us to put ourselves in a position or in a, a place of priority, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, rather than with sober judgment, which is what we're talking about. We... If we instead want to think of ourselves rightly, the first place to start is understanding God's love for us and desiring to love Him back. And then as an extension of loving God back, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as an extension of that, we love the world. And when that's our motivation, then it's just a matter of how do we do that correctly. But the heart is in the right place. The motivation is in the right place. We're headed the right direction because we desire so much to love. I can remember as a a young man, I was um, very concerned about truth. Truth was the most important thing. There was truth and there was nothing else. And so I was willing to argue with and debate with and yell at anyone who did not believe truth. And what I discovered is that I was not very loving. And what I further discovered is that people did not respond well to my truth. It wasn't so much that I was wrong about what I believed. It's just they got sick of being beat over the head. So as I came and I was like, truth, boom, boom, boom. Truth, boom, boom, boom. And I came with my big truth stick Nobody wanted to hang around. Except for a a couple of people who had their big sticks and they swung back. And so we hit each other with big sticks until both of us were tired and a couple of us were hurt and we went home. And everyone was offended. And no one changed their mind. But an unhypocritical love begins in this place that my primary motivation in speaking truth to you is that I have a love for you and I have a love for my God. I know a truth and this is that truth that God has loved the world so much that He sent His only Son And I want to have that kind of a ridiculous love so that you might know the truth that is God's love. So this is an unhypocritical love. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. 
Now, if you just heard me talking about how I was a person of truth, but now I'm a person of love, and what you took away from that is, oh, I guess he doesn't care about truth anymore. Paul, very quickly, in the first thing he says, he lists, he, he puts the header of the list, an unhypocritical love, and the very first thing he says, abhor evil. Well, that flies in the face of most of the things that I've heard about what we should do in terms of love. Abhor evil? Yes, if you want to love rightly, if you want to love the way that God loves, that has to first begin with a proper perspective on righteousness. Abhor evil. We, we, we despise evil. We detest evil. We recognize that evil is a twisting of God's love and God's good. That is not the way that the world was intended to be. It does not reflect God's glory when we have evil. We abhor it. We can't stand it. We look at it in the world and we say, this world should not be like this. This kind of evil that is mucking everything up, that should not be that way. I detest the evil that is in the world. And further, I detest the evil that I see in me. I abhor the evil that I see in me. I don't want to see that evil in me anymore. You see, if, if we think that an unhypocritical love is an uncritical love, then we are mistaken. Love does pay attention to what is wrong and to what is good. Abhor what is evil. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all kinds of evil. The wrath of God is revealed in that. Does that make God less loving because He's wrathful against sin and evil? No, that doesn't make Him any less loving. In fact, often the reason that, that I detest evil is because I see the evil and the way that interacts with other people and the damage and the hurt that it causes. So why do we hate it when people run around and beat each other with sticks? Because that's not a very loving thing to do. I'm talking about physical sticks. Not just the truth stick that I used earlier. Although when I look back on the behavior that I had as a young man, when I walked around and I hit people with truth sticks, I'm not sure but it may be that in my attempt to bring truth, I was bringing evil. In causing damage to people and marring the glory of God in the way that I brought what I thought to be so important. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. 
cling to it. Cling to the stuff that is good. Hang on to it and don't let go. This idea is used in other places of marriage, that, that you're, you're clinging to your spouse and hanging on to them. When, we're, when Teresa and I are talking with people about marriage, we'll talk in, in terms of being a team, being united, so that whatever kinds of problems come up, we're clinging to each other and hanging on to each other. We're united. If there's a problem, the problem is out there and it's against us and it is us versus the problem. The problem is not between us because we are clinging to one another. We, we likewise are, are to cling to good and hang on to it. Have you seen those, those movies where um, they want to show the unity between two people and so what they do is they have them hold hands and then spin in a circle? And like they're doing some kind of dance? And, and I w- was thinking about that as I was thinking about this clinging and this holding on to, to somebody and, and spinning in a circle. And how when you're spinning in a circle, it, 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 just, it tries to pull you apart, right? But you're clinging to one another and it's holding you together. And it's this demonstration of love and trust and unity in that moment. Because you are trusting that the other person is not going to let go. If they let go, you're going to go flying and hit your head on something. And so in movies, they do this because it visually represents this clinging, this unity that, that you have. And so what, what Paul's talking about here is, is this, this clinging and this holding on to that which is good. I, I just want to hang on to it and not let go. And so even when I'm spinning into a, in a circle, I'm going to hang on to this good. I'm going to despise all of the evil that's out there, all of the evil that that is trying to knock me over or pull me apart, and I'm just going to hang on to what is good and pull it in close. Do you know that, that when you're spinning in a circle, the further your arms are out, the more likely you are to let go. There's something about the physics of that, that the wider it is, the the more force there is outward as you're spinning in the circle. But if you pull it in tight... You'll spin faster, but you'll be closer in. You're less likely to fly apart. We're clinging, clinging to that which is good. He, he's talked about these ideas before in, in Romans uh, chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on yourself, uh, for, sorry, let me try that again. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. We just we have to cling to that which is good. And we have to know that an unhypocritical love begins with discerning between that which is evil and that which is good. And we reject that which is evil. And we cling to that which is good. And once we have done that, then he goes on in in Romans uh, 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Another way of saying this is, in brotherly love, as you're expressing brotherly love to one another, do that with great devotion. Be devoted to that. Listen to the familial nature of that. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Love love one another like siblings. Now, maybe some of you have strained relationships with siblings. But there are others of you, I, I know, who have really close relationships with siblings, and you would do things for your sibling that you would not do for another person. I have found myself with my siblings stepping into situations that there is no way I would step into that situation for someone else. There were times as kids that my brother, I love my brother, he has grown up to be a wonderful man, but he was a whiny kid and a poor sport at times. You may know this about me. I'm quite competitive. I have always been quite competitive. I didn't put up well with whiny, poor sport people. With one exception. My brother. And when we were out playing, whether it was with cousins or neighborhood kids or whatever, and we were out doing stuff, and my brother, though I love him, would complain and whine and would walk away from the game, everybody would start to talk about my brother and I would step in. I would not do that for anyone else given the same behavior, but for my brother, I would step in. Because it's a brotherly affection. I was devoted to my brother. I loved my brother. Love one another with that kind of devotion. That you'd put yourself in a situation that you would not put yourself in normally. That you would step in and go, hang on, I, I agree with you actually about that thing for my brother, but I am not going to put up with that kind of talking about him. I'm going to come to the defense of somebody that I love 
even when they're not entirely in the right. I'm going to walk alongside them and put my arm around them and encourage them as they're struggling. Because I love them like a brother or like a sister. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now think about this in these terms. We have been made family. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Jesus Christ sees us as brothers and sisters and has given Himself for us with a love, a familial love, that He would sacrifice Himself for us. And now Paul is writing this to a church that is divided. There are two groups of people in this church. There are the Jews and the Greeks who normally would not associate with one another. For generations, they have not associated with one another. They would not eat meals together. They would not have one another over into their houses. And Paul is telling them, not only are you to have a familial love for the people who are like you, but you are also to have a familial love for the people who are unlike you. So that you now all are the body of Christ, the family of Christ, children of God, brothers and sisters, one of another. And so devote yourselves to each other, exhibiting a brotherly love. In fact, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor be better at showing honor than anybody else. Now this I can get behind. Competitive honoring. (laughs) Competitive honoring. If you're going to compete about something, do it this way. Because competing is all about Getting honor, right? I did it the best. I did it the fastest. I did it the most wonderfully. It was me. I won. Okay, now you're going to take that energy, love your energy, and we're going to devote that to showing honor to other people. So, Who's going to outdo who in showing honor to others? Just honor them, privilege them, prioritize them, speak well of them. 
Any time that I think about honoring somebody, an example of, of this, I think of my grandfather. Because no one out-honors my grandfather. My grandfather refers to my grandmother as Her Majesty. Almost always. Both when he's speaking to her and when he's speaking of her. So that anytime you're talking with my grandfather and you hear him say, Her Majesty, everyone knows who he's talking about. Guys, take notes. Her Majesty. Why? Because he held her in high esteem and gave her honor everywhere. Now contrast that with people who in public are nagging at or teasing or belittling their spouse. Don't don't do that. Don't fall for the cheap laugh. It's hilarious on a sitcom. It's awful in real life. Don't do it when they're standing there. Don't do it behind their back. Just don't do it. Don't speak negatively, critically. Oh yeah, I love my wife, but she can't cook. Now all of you know that's not my wife. Everybody here is good. There's no way he's talking about Teresa. Right, there's no way I would use an illustration about my wife that puts her in a negative light. Why? Because I love my wife. Because any time I speak critically of my wife or make a joke at my wife's expense, whether she's standing there or not standing there, it puts division between us. But every time I speak highly of her, it builds unity and trust between us. And so we show honor. We outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine? I mean, when you do that in a marriage and you just speak well of the other person, everybody knows how tight-knit you are because you would not speak negatively about the other person. You're just fused together, clinging to one another, right? Now imagine that same kind of thing as people talk about and talk to one another within the church. Awesome! Be so careful in the way that you talk about people in the church. So that we are honoring them and lifting them high and showing them great respect. We do that because it it builds up the body of Christ and pulls us together. Now, does that mean that we just ignore stuff that we don't like or we just say, well, that's not important? No. But we do it unhypocritically so that in relationship we're talking with people and I'm going to go right to you and I'm going to say, this is something that I see. And so rather than bad-mouthing on the side 
or making fun of them or something like that. I'm going to talk right to them and say, this is what I see. Let's address this together. And I'm going to come alongside, right? With that brotherly devotion. And help them through it because that's what people of Christ do. We love one another with a brotherly devotion and we honor one another. While at the same time rejecting that which is evil and clinging to that which is good. So that we can love one another with an unhypocritical love. And we'll expect the same toward us. So that we're not putting up with evil. We're not putting up with evil in them, and we're not putting up with evil in us. But we're all walking around, clinging to one another, uh, putting our arms around one another, walking alongside and encouraging and building one another up and showing honor to one another. Maybe it's just saying thank you. Appreciation is is a huge way of showing honor. Thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank, Thank you for serving in that way. Thank you for those words of encouragement. Thank you. Sometimes it's, it's thanking them directly. Sometimes it's just talking about how much you appreciate them. That shows great honor. I so appreciate the elders of this church. And the way that they pray for you, and the way that they love you, the way that they care for you, how thoughtful they are about what's happening in this church. I so appreciate the elders of this church. And the life group leaders of this church. How much time and energy they devote to caring for people in this church. It's not easy being a life group leader. It costs a lot. And I have seen people in this church do that with great sacrifice and great joy at the same time. Without resenting the cost. Just showing love. And walking alongside people who need it. When you sign up to be a life group leader, it's not just a matter of uh, talking, leading discussion, and having the answers on a Wednesday night or on a Tuesday night. It's walking alongside people when their sin gets in your way. We have very selfless life group leaders who do that. We have people who, in this church who are showing hospitality and loving people Welcoming them into this place. Welcoming people into their homes. Asking people to go out to lunch after church. How awesome is that? Why do they do that? Because they want people who walk in the doors to feel like this is home for them too. This is a place where we love you. And you can be safe here and we're going to talk together and we're going to be real about stuff. And we're going to deal with evil and we're going to cling to that which is good and you will be loved in this place. We want you to feel like family here. That's awesome. We have people right now next door serving kids. They're giving up a a Sunday a month or two Sundays a month 
for being in here and worshiping with you so that they can go love on kids. They're doing that in Awana on Wednesday nights. We're starting a new program with Foster Parents Night Out. I could go on and on and on about the people who are doing stuff around the facilities, people who are just in no official capacity at all, walking alongside others and sending notes of encouragement or bringing meals. I could go on and on and on. I could go around this room and for nearly every person in this room, I could identify specific things that you are doing as a way of contributing to the body of this church. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making New Life Church as awesome as it is. We outdo one another. We outdo one another. So now, I've set the bar, you can try and outdo that all morning long. In the way that you show honor other people. Because Jesus has redeemed us with a great, unconditional, humble, sacrificial love, we respond as people who love God and love others in the church and that spills over to loving people in the community. For the sake of His glory and His name. And we want to dig into the Scriptures and see these things that Paul has zoomed in on so we can see what that looks like and we can practice it together. We'll have grace for one another as we don't do that well. I've seen people try to honor other people and it comes out kind of funky. And you go, I... I know their heart and I'm going to take that as a compliment even though it sounded a little bit backhanded. That's okay. This is a place where you can practice giving honor. If it didn't work the first time, just try again. We'll get there. We should first think of ourselves as lovers. Being a disciple of Jesus is not primarily a matter of getting the right ideas and doctrines and beliefs into your head in order to guarantee proper behavior. Rather, It's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly, who loves God and neighbor and is oriented to the world by the primacy of that love. Let's pray. Father, we want to be driven by your love. We don't want our behavior to be the thing that justifies us. We don't want to put all of the emphasis on the way that we behave so that we can feel better about ourselves. But we do recognize the great love that you have uh, demonstrated toward us. And we want to respond in showing you love. In giving you honor in lifting Your name high, in praising You amongst the congregation and around the world. And Father, we want that to spill over into the way that we interact with one another here in the church. That we would love and honor one another. 
And Father, we want that to spill over into the world. May we be known as a people of love in the way that we love one another and in a way that we express love in the world. May we be clear about what is evil and what is good, but may we love unconditionally that they might be won by the love. That they too may see how great you are and how great is your love and they too might respond in devotion to you. And we ask for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, our spiritual brother, Jesus Christ. Amen.